If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 12? We're going to be putting our attention in verses 35 through 48. That's Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 48, and that's where we're going to be continuing this study in the Gospel of Luke. Um, I'm going to have to not get distracted because I haven't seen some of you guys, in, uh, I haven't seen everybody in a month, and so every time someone like kind of pops in, I'm like, oh, hey, oh, hey, oh, they're here too, they're here too. Anyway, I'm not distracted. Chapter 11 and chapter 12, they all kind of, they have much to say about the kingdom of God. They have, they have this, there's this overwhelming theme in the kingdom of God through these chapters. And so this chapter is still following in the same kind of cadence and following that same theme that we saw last week or in a few, a few weeks back. And our passage today really follows verse 31 of chapter 11, where Jesus says, but seek his kingdom. Right? In these things will be provided to you. Don't be afraid. He calls us little flock because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. So we're beginning to understand the picture of what the kingdom is that Jesus is describing for us. And then he tells us, in a sense, of action steps of what to do in that kingdom. He says, sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Right? Make these money bags that won't grow old. It's a treasure in heaven. This is what Jesus begins to describe to his disciples and to us. And he said that these treasures in heaven, nothing can destroy them. But then he goes on to give this kind of warning of, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So there's a kingdom dynamic at play that Jesus is kind of giving to us. And so now, Jesus, in chapter 12, is sharing the posture and the priorities of the kingdom. The kingdom is filled with God's children fixated on Jesus, are caught up in delighting in God's provision and showing the world what this kingdom is on earth. Showing his disciples, or showing the, the world who his disciples are. So we're going to break this passage down into, into two themes. We're going to see kingdom readiness, and we're going to see kingdom rewards. And there's, within each of these themes, there's a calling of who we are to be, a blessing, and then warnings. So let me just pray first before we begin. Father, I pray that you would be with us. Guide us in our time of studying the scriptures. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we can worship you through song, through prayer, through confession, and through understanding your word. I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, so that we might receive the word and the instruction that you have for us. In Christ's precious name, amen. So, kingdom readiness. That's what we're going to focus on first. Kingdom readiness means that Jesus wants us to be ready and watchful as we wait for his return. So let me draw your attention first to verses 35 through 36. Let's read that together. It says, Be ready for service. And have your lamps lit. 
You are to be like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. Blessed will be those servants the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will get ready. Have them recline at the table, then come and serve them. So I don't know if you knew this, but just similar to what Chase was saying, Jesus' return, his second coming, is a very big deal to us. It should be a very big deal to us. In all, in, there, are 20, there are 260 chapters in the New Testament. And within those chapters, Christ's return is mentioned 318 times. So that's one verse for every 25 verses. It is super clear that Christ's return is an important part of our redemptive story, of the Bible's redemptive story in what God is doing. It's a part of the gospel. It's what we look forward to. It's what we hope for. I remember there was one time I was sitting and listening to this. Um, I was in like one of these uh, book type places where they're sharing authors are talking and one author was sharing her complaint about her upbringing and that she believed her parents they lived in a christian home and they were and she said it was very cultish because they were they kept on waiting and talking about waiting for when jesus would return and i was like that sounds pretty good i don't know what the problem is <laughs> right there is that is a deeply ingrained piece of our faith now, it's true that Christians have disagreed over when and how Jesus is coming back, but to be a Christian is to believe Jesus is coming back. Right? He is interceding right now at the, hand of, at the right hand of the Father and will return at the appointed time. So the question is not asking whether or not Jesus is coming back. Jesus doesn't even want us to figure out the time of when he'll return. Just look at Revelation. He says, don't ask that question. That's not the right question. Our question should be asking, how do we live in the meantime? The question and the challenge is that. How do we live in the meantime if we are here to bring the kingdom of God to the lost and be, as Scripture describes, a city on a hill. How then should we live in that reality? As watchful servants, as watchful servants, we are to be ready and watchful for his return. Jesus tells this parable. He's describing a scene at night where lamps are lit by servants of a master waiting for his return from a wedding. Now, the whole point of that, of that wedding emphasis, is to say that no one really knows when you're coming back from a wedding. You don't necessarily make the time. And in this time, the celebration was not time-structured. It was just when everybody went home. Right? It was just, uh, we're partying because this is a celebration. There's no like time limits on this. And so what Jesus wants to put, the image that he wants to put before his people 
is one not in time constraints, like they're expecting him to be home at a certain time. It's so they don't know when he's coming home, and they are ready as though he was going to enter the door in any moment. Right? In any moment, watchful servants are ready for his return. And all these servants in, this, in a normal setting, if there was a wedding at hand, they'd be sleeping, they'd be relaxing. But Jesus' parable depicts a counter-cultural way of living, which is to broadly say this, when the world is sleepy, when everyone is sleeping, Christians are ready and watchful. Another word to describe this is also found in Exodus 12, which is that all of the Christians, their, their loins are girded up, right? The belts are all fastened. They are ready to go. Exodus 12, verse 11, describes this during the final Passover, where Moses is instructing them, here is how you must eat. You must be dressed for travel. Your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You are to eat in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. And as you, you may be aware that this was the time when the angel of death was coming through and God's people, Israel, were planning their escape from Egypt, right? And God was going to lead them out. With that kind of readiness, the same language Jesus is now applying to his disciples waiting for their master's return. It's the same imagery, it's the same words that he's using for that. But you might be thinking, okay, how is this like actually practical? Are you saying I sleep with my clothes on? Are you saying I sleep with the lights on? Are you saying I don't sleep at all? Are you saying I wait at the door ready? Right? No, that's not exactly what we're saying. The blessing of our readiness is in our full readiness to serve him now. The blessing of our readiness, what it means to be ready and watchful, is to be actively serving Jesus and to be thinking about when is he going to return. Come, Lord Jesus. Our minds are to be meditating on the word. Our hearts are are to be longing for Jesus to have his way and for Jesus to come and make all things new and for our bodies to be in service and in obedience. To be ready and watchful as a disciple now is to have one whose mind, heart, and body and all your soul are waiting to serve Jesus, are waiting to see his will be done and to wait for his kingdom come. All of it. It takes our hearts, our minds, our soul, our bodies to be ready. Jesus says he wants to find us like that. He wants to find us like that. But here's the crazy dynamic to this. He says he wants us ready now so he can bring rest in the future. Rest is, is an intricate dynamic and call in the scriptures. 
But it's one that Jesus brings to us and one that he promises to us in the future. So it's kind of interesting. His disciples, his servants, his people who are at the ready, serving, waiting for him to return, are called to do so so that he can bring rest in the future. This parable brings this blessing, a blessing to watchful servants. So let me draw your attention where we see that in verse 37 through 39. It says, Blessed will be those the master finds alert when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will get ready, have them recline at the table, and then come and serve them. That's where Jesus is going to bring rest, right, in the future. If he comes in the middle of the night, or even near dawn, and finds them alert. Blessed are those servants. I'm sorry, that was verse 7 30, 37 through 38, not 39. But a question that I want to bring to you is, in your day-to-day walk with the Lord, would you describe yourself as watchful and ready, or as sleepy? As watchful Ready to go or sleepy? I think it's a challenge for each of us. First Peter 1, Therefore, with your minds, be ready for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is so much blessing and following Jesus and taking what he says seriously. When he calls his disciples to be ready, we are to be ready. When he tells us to be watchful, we are to be watchful. With this blessing also comes a warning of readiness. And this is the warning, and it's kind of a a side warning, but it's something that I think helps us keep the right perspective as his disciples. It's no one knows when Jesus will return. So the warning is to not grow sleepy. This is verse 39 and 40. But know this, if the homeowner had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So, you might be asking yourself, Mark, how is that really a warning? Well, the warning is that you don't know, and you're not supposed to know. That shouldn't change your readiness or your posture as a disciple. It shouldn't say, your, your mindset is not to say, well, he's coming here then, so I can relax now. Right? If he's coming later, I got time. I got time. That's where the warning is. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You don't know when, I, when, when the Son of Man will return. And he gives this picture, and he kind of goes, he does a, a really interesting parable within a parable, where he talks all of a sudden about a homeowner and this, knowing when this thief is coming. And so Jesus is describing himself now as a thief coming in the night, which is a little weird, but it totally makes sense when we're thinking about the warning he's trying to share. 
right? He's trying to depict even further and even more dramatically of the readiness he wants his disciples to be having. Do not get sleepy. It's dramatic, it's illustrative, and it begs us the question, are we, are we serving Jesus with the same intensity, with the same readiness, with the same watchfulness as someone about to get their house robbed? That's a weird question, and it, I think it might be really helpful for us. How does this intensity benefit us? How does it do so? Well, these are the two, I think it's twofold here. This type of intensity, this type of readiness and watchfulness that Jesus encourages us and calls us to do is twofold. One, we are encouraged by God working now because we're actively seeking what he is doing. We're actively looking for evidences of grace that are moving in, around us, and through us. And, this is the big one, we remember what he's done. Readiness brings remembrance. A readiness, an intensity of what is happening keeps our minds clear on what happened so that we can look back and see God at work. So this, is a, this, this little parable that Jesus gave of the thief coming in the night, it reminded me of the story that my dad gave. My dad is not a storyteller. He's not like me. He's like, actually, we look very different too. He's really tall. He's like a, a bigger guy. He's been a machinist his entire life. He's not a storyteller. He's more of a quiet guy. But there's one story he really likes to share. And he remembers it frame by frame. And it's when he had this memory of his boss's uh, son stealing money from their auto shop and what he did to keep that thief from coming. And he describes it, and I, I, remember the, I remember when he likes to tell it, he has a really deep voice, and so he's like, son, let me tell you this story. So he tells me frame by frame that they saw that there was a thief coming at night they were stealing money from the money they couldn't figure out how they were how it was just gone so my dad said that he hid in the shadows of the office with um, an unloaded shotgun and he kind of was like described himself as like the spy and he was just waiting and ready for this person to come and then they came in and it was the boss's son at which he wanted everybody to to go like <gasps> you know what <laughs> And as soon as, and he, and he tells, just frame over, he's like, as soon as he opened the safe, I went, <laughs> and, and the guy just froze, and they called the cops, and it was my dad's, like, big celebration. But I always think it's really funny to me that for, for a man who, who I've asked many times, stories or any kind of past things, he's like, I don't really remember that. This one particular moment he knows where he was sitting. He knows where he was, where, what shoes he had on. He knew everything. He could give you a frame description of the office he stood in. He was that ready. Memor readiness helps remembrance. 
keeps our minds sharp. Intensity, watchfulness, readiness are all ingredients to be encouraged and to remember. Jesus says in Mark 13, Watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. Then he says again, and then he says in verse 36 through 37, Otherwise, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, Be alert. Could not be any clearer. It really means that. Be alert. God wants us to be in kingdom readiness now for the kingdom rewards coming. So now we're going to work through this next section where these next, and we're going to just take them a few verses at a time of what Jesus is calling us to do and that other blessing that he brings along with another warning. So Jesus says rewards are given to those who are ready and take seriously the call to be responsible and faithful in all of our kingdom pursuits. So let me draw your attention to verses 41 through 42 where Peter asks a really good question, one that probably is either going through your head or it definitely should go through everyone's head, but I think it's really good. He says, Lord... Are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? That, that's, there's a humor there. Because Peter has also said in one other time when Jesus said something was going to happen, he's like, well, what about him? Is, is he going to die too? <laughs> you know. So Peter is asking, but there's a sincerity that we need to, that we need to uh, you know, be aware of. Because in verse 42, it says, The Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible manager his master will put in charge of his household servants to give them their allotted food at the proper time. So I think all of us have been in a situation in one way or another when, when a teacher calls to do someone or tells someone to do something and everyone acts as if that teacher is speaking to somebody else. They're like, oh, is that, is that like my responsibility? Or what? Right? Who? Is, is it me? Right? And as funny as Peter's question is, the sincerity of that causes us to pay attention because Peter's question is asking Jesus, do you mean disciples in your inner circle with us now or for all disciples at large? Who, who is it that, that needs to be in this level of alertness? Right? And I think what Jesus' answer is, is yes. There is a particular responsibility that these disciples did have. Right? These disciples would become the apostles. Their faithfulness has significant implications to the advancement of the kingdom. But their responsibility and their faithfulness doesn't end with them. They're examples for us to follow and to see this responsibility, this faithfulness of taking Jesus at his word seriously. It is our example. They are our example to follow, and we have that same responsibility to faithfulness, even if it looks different. 
Their position is unique, but the principle is the same. I remember one, one of my college professors telling, a, telling the class, he says, and it's kind of a weird thing, but you might have heard this before, where he says, God doesn't need you, but he wants you. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, where you're like, okay, I think I kind of feel good about that, but it also makes me a little sad. I don't know. It's as if to say God doesn't need us to accomplish his mission but he invites us and wants us to be a part of it. That's really the emphasis of that statement, right? You've probably heard that. And the thing is, there's some truth to that. God's redemptive plan and his story and his mission does go beyond us. That's true. But don't miss your responsibility as a steward of the mission. It is an invitation it's also a calling. And the calling is to be taken seriously. There is a responsibility in our calling. You haven't just been invited. You have been called. To be a Christian is to treat your new status before God with responsibility and with faithfulness. And the beautiful thing about this is that there is a blessing to faithful stewards who follow that call. Verse 43 through 44, he says, Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Verse 44, Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. A servant of Christ who has been faithful in the temporary earthly responsibilities at Christ's return will be given a vast permanent authority in the eternal state that we find ourselves going to. Another way to say that is our temporal responsibility affects our eternal authority. So we need to take it seriously. What we do now matters. How we live matters. Jesus has called his church to live out the kingdom in readiness to be watchful, to be faithful, and to look at what God has given us responsibly as good stewards. It's not just, we normally see stewardship in kind of financial terms. That's a big part of it. But the stewardship over our calling as disciples is even broader. We can't just subject stewardship to finances. We have to use our stewardship of what God has given us for all areas of our life. But friends, there, there is an eternal blessing to your faithful stewardship now. Whatever your circumstances, you have a responsibility to strive for faithfulness in following Jesus. There's a good example of, of this man named John Broadus. He was a seminary president in the, just during the Civil War. And at the end of the Civil War, 
he found himself with only four professors left, <coughs> excuse me, four professors left and seven students. One of them was blind. And it was a bigger seminary and school that he was running. But after the war, this is what it came down to. But Broadus wrote in his journal that only one student joined his preaching class. And it was the blind student. So it was just him and one, one student. But Dr. Broadus put everything he had into every lecture. And he took his calling seriously. And he wrote down, he was meticulous about everything he did, no matter the circumstances. He sought faithfulness. And his lectures became one of the most famous, influential books on preaching in American history. We have no idea the kingdom impact that God has us and God has ready for us in very mundane moments of our lives. In our day-to-day -day actions, we could see things as very insignificant. But Jesus is calling us to look at things with a, a stewardship of responsibility, with a countercultural way of living that's impact we don't even know yet. We do not know of the significant actions of which we are doing. And as his disciples, living out the kingdom here on earth while we have time, before he comes, we are to do so responsibly with all faithfulness, all readiness. But with that also comes a warning that Jesus shares. It's a warning for unfaithful stewards. So let's read together verses 45 through 48. And this is kind of the, the longest chunk here. It says, he tells them, but if a servant whom says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and starts to beat his male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, that servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will and didn't prepare himself or do it will be severely beaten. But the one who did not know and did what deserved punishment will receive a light beating. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. So this is, this is a graphic, graphic consequence. So what exactly is Jesus saying here? Jesus is sharing a warning of how one becomes an unfaithful steward. So we get to see the consequences of that, but let's peer back and just try to avoid it completely. Agreed? We want to just avoid unfaithful stewardship at all. So looking back and saying, what is Jesus saying here? He's sharing the warning of how one becomes an unfaithful steward. Unfaithfulness 
begins in the heart. At not taking God's word seriously. At not taking God at his word. Unfaithful stewards are those who say that they're servants, but whose heart is far away. That's far away from Jesus, that's far away from their calling. So the question is, is we want to avoid that. We want to avoid being unfaithful. If we want to be faithful, how do we keep our hearts in check? How do we keep our hearts faithful? And for Jesus to see us as the stewards that he wants us to be, as acceptable to him. There's two two capital P's that I want to share with you and how that we can how we can be faithful stewards. It's not on the outline, but I want you just to write it in if you grabbed one. These are the two P's. Pray and press in. These are two two P's that will avoid unfaithful stewardship. So let me describe them to you. Prayer is the first. Prayer is where our motives, our longings, our desires meet the grace of Jesus. It is where all of us, our soul, all the things we're discontent with, all of the problems that we have, the pain we feel, the anguish we're going through, are being met at the grace of Jesus and the Holy Spirit shining light on our circumstances to draw us to greater faithfulness. We cannot be faithful on our own. But Jesus doesn't leave us alone. Jesus says, I'm with you always. You have a helper, the Holy Spirit, the wonderful counselor who will be with you in your times of difficulty to be met in prayer. To be met with prayer. When we share our real selves with Jesus through prayer, he shows us how his faithfulness is enough for us to persevere. Prayer is where we come and where we receive. But just like our physical bodies desire sleep, our fallen nature desires a spiritual sleepiness too that we need to be aware of. We are all subject to a spiritual sleepiness and it's not good at all. Spiritual sleepiness leads to spiritual unfaithfulness. But prayer, friends, wakes us up. Someone might say, but, you know, what about all the the talk of the soul needing rest? The soul does need rest. Everybody needs rest. But a soul at rest is one resting in Christ through prayer. Do you hear me? The soul at rest is one that is bringing their soul to Jesus so that he can give that rest through prayer. So our question I want to ask is, are you praying? Are you praying? Are you praying with intensity that the Lord is really going to move? 
Charles Spurgeon says nine times out of ten, falling away from God begins with the neglect of private prayer. Friends, we have so much to pray for right now in the season of our lives and where we find ourselves. Our church needs all of its members, all of its people to be praying in this season. We need to be praying and acting as though it is our responsibility to do so. Because it is. Our faithfulness will be found in the prayers that we have, that we give and invite Jesus to answer. So join us. Join us. We have, we're praying a lot this season. So it's not just on you. It's on everyone together to pray. But the second P is press in. Press into your calling regardless of your shortcomings or your discouragement. Every person, every person is finite and every person has in one way or another a weight, a need to grow in some capacity. But remember, Jesus right now is speaking to his disciples. When Jesus, when Jesus told them to be ready, what did they do? They ran away. If that makes you feel any better, right? When Jesus told them to be ready, they ran away. When Jesus told them to be alert, they fell asleep. These are who Jesus is talking to. So, you know, there's grace. <laughs> Doesn't mean we're supposed to do it. It just means that there's a reality of the fallenness of who we all are. He was speaking to men who he knew would fail at some point. But his call is to press in to persevere. Press in to the efforts, to the, to the ways that God has equipped you. Don't think of your shortcomings first. Jesus is with you and Jesus is going to grow you through each challenge. But we need to press in as stewards. Pressing in is not mustering up our own strength, but trusting Jesus to carry you through it. Prayer and pressing in keeps us responsible and keeps us faithful as stewards of what God has entrusted us to. Scripture tells us that our witness has power to a world lost in spiritual darkness and unfaithfulness. We live in a dark place. We live in a world that is moving through a redemptive story that we are to call and share with others the hope that is in Christ because Christ died on the cross to show us the ultimate example of faithfulness, of what it means to be a faithful servant, we can look to Jesus. Jesus is the faithful servant that we have, and he's coming back. Jesus did not come into the world to be served, but to serve as a ransom for many. 
So how then shall we live? To go back to that, that first question. 1 Corinthians 4. A person should think of us, the church, in this way. As servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. In this regard, it is required that managers be found faithful. How should we live? Faithful. How should we act? We should be ready. How should we find rest for our souls in a world filled with dilemmas and dynamics and all sorts of things? In prayer. Pressing into the challenges to see God at work through them and to bring perseverance and endurance along the way. As we seek the kingdom of God, we too are called to be seen as ready and watchful and called to pursue the eternal kingdom rewards that Jesus gives us. All of it to say, for Jesus to say to us, I am coming we get to respond with our whole hearts. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, come. We ask you, God, come. But while we're here, while we remain on earth at your service, I ask God that you would Draw us into your grace through prayer and draw us into your work by pressing in. We want to be found as faithful stewards, Lord, but we confess to you that we feel sleepy, that there is a spiritual sleepiness that marks us, that there is a, there is a, a tendency and a temptation to not think about the eternal state, the eternal realities at hand. But God, I pray you would make us watchful, make us ready. Help us be like the Israelites when the angel of death was, was very, was at the door. And let us rejoice in the grace that they felt too when the angel of death passed over. God, because of Jesus, you have given us that same grace and that same redemption. And Father, I ask that we would be just as ready so that the church, your church, would be marked with faithfulness as responsible stewards in our time that we have. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.